Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Ted Lanzaro. Thanks for being on the show, Ted. Thank you, Whitney. Thank you for having me. Ted's a certified public accountant, also CPA, and real estate investor with over 29 years of real estate consulting and investing experience. He's the author of The Tax Smart Landlord, a book of tax strategies for real estate investors, and has helped thousands of investors nationally save millions of dollars in taxes in his career. Ted, thank you again for your time and you sharing your expertise. Obviously, 29 years in experience, this is no new thing for you. And I appreciate the opportunity to learn from you. And I know the listeners do as well. Give them a little more about just who you are, you know, what your focus is right now, and let's dive in. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you so much for having me, first of all. And, you know, my focus of my tax practice is basically representing real estate investors from a tax consulting standpoint and developing customized strategies for them because not everybody is exactly the same. So people have different situations. So the tax strategy that I talk about in the Tax Part Landlord book, they actually have to be tailored to person's specific situation. And just as an example, somebody who is a real estate professional would have a different set of circumstances than, say, one of the limited partners in your syndication. Awesome. So, and I hear that often as far as you know, you got to find somebody that will really be a tax strategist as opposed to just call yourself a, t- a CPA that's just going to do your taxes. Would you agree? Yeah, no, I think that's accurate. Look, I have an approach that I take with my clients and that approach is proactive. And most of the stuff that we do, we're doing during the year and right before the end of the year, not after the fact, not after the year end. So I'm not the kind of CPA you show up with your shoebox, you know, on April 10th and get your taxes done. I'm the kind of CPA who is involved in my client's business and wants to be involved in my client's business and and encourages my clients to talk to me during the year about what they're doing. And I always tell clients, look, there's a lot of times that you need to call me, you know, when you're buying a property, when you're renovating a property, when you're selling a property, and right before year end, we should be talking at a minimum. I like that. That's great advice. And you know, I have investors that contact me and say, you know, do you have somebody that can help me with this? Like they have a CPA that maybe they've used for years and years and years, but they really need a tax strategist, somebody just really dive into their specific scenario. Or how do we find somebody like that, you know, or like yourself, you know, that is really, or maybe some questions that we should ask that CPA when we're developing that relationship to find out if they're really going to like just sit down with us like you are, or have that call to really figure out, you know, our specific scenario, what's best as opposed to just really filing our taxes for us. There's a lot of fantastic CPAs out there. A lot of them specialize in different things. I'm a real estate CPA. I'm a real estate CPA because I'm a real estate investor also. So it kind of came naturally. You know, I started out 29 years ago, started working with real estate investors and saw what was going on and said, hey, you know, I could do some of this myself, you know, and I started my investing career just buying single family and multifamily properties down in Southeast Florida, Fort Lauderdale area. And as I started investing, I also started going to real estate investment club meetings 
and met other investors and they found out I was a CPA and they asked me to start doing, you know, tax presentations for these clubs. And I started going around and speaking and the more I did that, the more clients I got. I think the biggest question that you can ask is, are you also a real estate investor? Because that's why my clients hire me because I speak their language. I can go and walk through a building and tell you within 5% how much repairs are going to be needed. I can write a scope of work to do a, you know, to build out a building or something. So it's those kind of specialized skills that are what my clients like about working with me. I like that a lot. They're finding out, finding that CPA that's in this business as well. Obviously, they're going to have a different take on the business if they're in it as well and investing and on the daily today. But, you know, you mentioned earlier the real estate professional status. And could you elaborate on just what that is for maybe the listener that hasn't heard of that? And maybe some of them has, but, you know, it's not clear what that actually means. Okay. So there's three types of real estate investors, essentially, from a tax standpoint. You have your passive investors. Those would be the equivalent of your limited partners in your syndications. So they're not part of the decision-making. They're just putting their money in and for a return on their investment, right? The second type would be an active investor. So if you're an active investor, you might be somebody who's managing your own properties. You're the guy who's putting the tenants in, calling the plumber when the toilet clogs, you know, those kind of things. As long as you put in enough hours, you're allowed to deduct up to $25,000 a year against your ordinary income, assuming that your ordinary income doesn't exceed $150,000 a year. Once your adjusted gross income exceeds $150,000 a year, then you're basically phased out. Any losses you take in your real estate are carried over. But if you're a real estate professional, that's somebody who works full-time in the real estate business, either as a developer, broker, syndicator, real estate agents can qualify also. So people that are doing that and are documenting at least 750 hours a year, and it's more than half of what their total work activity is, okay? And if you do that, you have the ability to take unlimited losses against your ordinary income. So a real estate broker who has a $40,000 loss on a rental property could allocate that $40,000 loss against his $200,000 of real estate broker income during the year, assuming that he keeps track of the hours in order to qualify as a professional. Great. I appreciate you laying that out. And so obviously it's going to benefit those that can do it full-time. They're able to be a real estate professional. Should we all pursue to be a real estate professional if we're doing this full-time? Well, yeah. I mean, if that's all you're doing, then you should be If all you're doing is working in the real estate business, and there's a few tricks to this because your work in the real estate business could be simultaneously as a landlord, a broker, a syndicator, you could be doing multiple things. So there are some tricks you have to make an election to aggregate your activities in order to be considered a professional because what the IRS says, it's not just 750 hours, it's 750 hours per property unless you elect to do that aggregation that I was just talking about. So there's a trap built into the rules, right? And what I tell people is, one, it's just a two-sentence election on your tax return, first of all. So it's for me, it's making sure I check the right box on my software when I'm doing your return, and I have a checklist to make sure that I do that every year, right? But also, it's on your end, it would be making sure that you have a log 
are using some sort of app that you know tracks your work time so that you can prove that you have a 750 hours of time in per year and also that it's more than half of what you do. So I had a client who has a full-time job and she said to me, I'm a real estate professional. And I said, I don't think you qualify. You have a full-time job as an IT person, right? And she said, no, but I also work 2,000 hours at least in my real estate business and I can prove that. I work more than half my time in real estate. And I said, look, I mean, 2,000 hours as an IT person, 2,001 hours as a real estate professional, when do you sleep, right? So I said, I don't think you qualify and you don't have a log. So she says, well, you're fired. I'm going to do my taxes myself and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take real estate professional status. And I said, okay, well, that's okay. Do what you want to do. So two years later, the phone rings and I pick up the phone and it's her and she says, I just got called down to the IRS's office and they're questioning my real estate professional status. Can you help me? And I said, no, I told you, you know, you were wrong. I can't help you. You don't need me now. You don't need a CPA. You need a lawyer or maybe a magician. You know, you don't need a CPA anymore. There, there's nothing I can do. You have to pay the extra taxes and the penalty because you don't qualify. And I told you that. So it's one of those things where if you're legitimately in the business, it's an excellent opportunity to be able to deduct the rental losses that most of the time are going to come from depreciation. As real estate investors, we're not buying real estate to lose money. We're buying real estate to make money and have that money sheltered by the depreciation on the property. That's right. That was going to be a question of mine too, as far as the, you know, the people who are working still have a W-2 job, you know, could they still claim this? Because I've heard this, I've heard similar stories where people are trying to be able to log their time. They claim they work just as many hours in real estate. I mean, is there ever a time where that would work? I mean, where, you know, I have a W-2 job or position, but I can still claim the real estate. I mean, I just, just have to make sure I'm working more hours, you know, in the real estate and I'm logging that time up to 750 hours or more. Or is it just like it's a major red flag? I just shouldn't even pursue that. Yeah, look, I mean, it is a bigger red flag when you have W-2 income from somewhere else, right? But that's where keeping the log comes in. So let's say you had a W-2 job that was only a thousand hours a year, right? It's a part-time job, okay? Some people could do that. And let's say that then you spent the other half of your time working as a real estate broker or a syndicator or a developer. And in those scenarios, you put in that 1,100 hours, you know, so now you've got over 750 hours and you're more than half because you've got 1,100 real estate hours compared to your 1,000 W-2 hours. In that scenario, as long as you've tracked that, then you don't have a problem. Yeah, you may have a larger risk of audit, but when you do get called in, say, to the IRS's office or if they write you a letter and request your log, you have it already. Here you go. Here's my log. Okay, end of story now. Now, it's all good. As long as you have those that record keeping in place. And that's why every speaking engagement that I do starts with a lecture about record keeping for the people, you know, record keeping is the foundation of literally every strategy that I use with my clients. I'd love to hear that lecture for myself and it's for the listeners as well. But, you know, before and I'd like to, you know, do you have a best practice or a way to log those hours? You know, if we are a real estate professional, we're claiming that, do you have some best practices for logging that time? Yeah, I mean, I always tell people whatever's most comfortable for you, what you're going to use, because I can give you an app, say, for example, and you might hate it and you're not going to use it. 
It could be anything as simple as a pad of paper that I write, keep in my car and write down my hours every day. It could be an Excel spreadsheet. It could be some sort of app that I'm using. I would rather have a good piece of paper than an app you didn't use, right? So I'd rather have a good spreadsheet. And the same thing goes with record keeping for anything else. I can tell you what the best thing for you to use would be, but if you don't want to use it or you're like, this is too hard or whatever, then I would rather have it written down on a piece of paper. Great. I agree completely. Done is better than perfect. Right. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Done is better than not done. Right. So Ted, yeah, you know, why don't you share a little bit of that with us as far as the record keeping? Obviously, it's so important and or else you wouldn't share it every time, right? You know, maybe you can share a little bit of that and enlighten us on some record keeping tips. Okay. So I always start, and I said this before, but I'll start with record keeping is the foundation of all of the tax strategies that we use. And there's a lot of opportunities out there. The IRS, especially with the new 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, there's a lot of opportunity for real estate investors to take advantage of the tax laws. But there's also the thing that Congress put in there was a record keeping requirement. So if you're going to take real estate professional status that you want to log, if you're going to deduct your miles, you want a miles log. If you're going to take the home office deduction, you better have a good spreadsheet that shows all of your housing expenses. If you're going to take the qualified business income deduction, you better be able to show that you qualified. And even just record keeping from the standpoint of, hey, look, I'm a syndicator, I'm putting people's money into deals, you know, those people may actually ask me for reports at some point and say, hey, look, I'd like to see a thing all of the property or, you know, where's my K-1, that sort of thing. So the having really good record keeping facilitates your ability to provide reports to your limited partners and, and those kind of things, in addition to the taxation issue. So one of the things that I tell people is, look, you just need a good system that basically makes sure that you've got everything that you did into whatever system you use. So let's, for example, I have clients that use QuickBooks for counting for property, right? Well, if I have a company, let's say it owns an apartment building, and if I make sure that every deposit that I've put in and every check that I've written for that property, if I make sure that I reconcile my bank account every month, right, and all of my deposits went into my bank account and all of my bills got paid out of the bank account, so my insurance, my, the real estate taxes, the mortgage payment, the distributions to my limited partners, all of those things came out of that same account. Well, if I reconcile that bank account at the end of every month, I know I've got all of the transactions that occurred during that month. So if you do that, then you can be sure that you have all that information. And the same thing with things like compliance. So when you're renovating an apartment building, for example, you should be keeping track of who you're paying and how much you're paying them because ultimately the IRS puts the responsibility on you to fill out those 1099s for those contractors and subcontractors that you're using to do the work. And if you don't do that, it's possible, not likely, but possible that if you were to get audited, the IRS could come back and take those deductions away, or in the case of a renovation on the apartment building, maybe take some of that cost basis away because you didn't do the necessary compliance work to file those 1099s for the contractors that you used. That leads me to another thought. Just, you know, a lot of people use contract labor, right? You know, they call it contract labor. 
So obviously we should be sending 1099s to those folks. Yeah. I mean, if they're an individual, an LLC or a partnership, and you've paid them over $600 a year for the work that they've done, then you're required to send them a 1099 for their work. And the way that you go about doing that is you have them fill out a W-9. I always tell my investor clients, have them fill out the W-9 form before you write them a check. Because if at the end of the year, you're chasing around contractors trying to get their tax information, you're probably not going to get it. You know, what you're going to get is, oh, sorry about that. I didn't really want that 1099. You know, so before you ever write them a check, you get their form W-9. You get their insurance information for sure, right? And you probably have a subcontractor's agreement or some standard agreement that you're using with your subs. So if you have all of that information, when it comes time to do the 1099s, they're really easy to do. Great advice right there. Get the W-9 before you write them a check. So even if they have an LLC, you know, it's John Jones Construction Company, you know, we've hired them to come put a roof on, you know, I should still get them to fill out a W-9? Yeah. If they're an LLC, a partnership, or an individual, the only companies that are exempt are corporations. So if it was John Jones Inc., you wouldn't have to send them a 1099, but John Jones LLC, you do. That's great. Great tip right there. And what about this bookkeeping on the back end? What's the easiest way to make sure we're, I know that's, you know, like the record keeping and the easiest way to make sure all this is tracked and uh, just the bookkeeping on the back end. Do most people hire a service, you know, like uh, an office like yours to do things like that? And or how do they do that? Well, we certainly do that kind of work for people and we're happy to do that. Most people I find will either have an in-house person doing it or in a lot of cases, a lot of my clients are like, well, I'm going to try to do it myself. You know, so maybe they, them or their wives, you know, their spouses will do either the QuickBooks or the Appfolio or whatever they're using. There's a lot of really good software out there. So it's just a matter of making sure that you have a pretty good idea what you're doing because I'm just going to use QuickBooks as an example. I would rather have a good spreadsheet than bad QuickBooks because if you do the QuickBooks wrong and I have to go and clean it up, that's probably more costly to you than if you just had a bookkeeper who knew the program just do it right the first time. I like that. And then you know, if we just have somebody in-house and they're just doing an Excel sheet, what's the best way for them to categorize things like order some big ticket items that we need to make sure we're tracking? Yeah. I mean, obviously all of the real property expenses of things sure. like the mortgage interest, the real estate taxes, the insurance, the repairs, the repairs especially, or the capital improvements, because those are the things you're going to have to be 1099 people on, just like we talked about. And um, from the inflow side, making sure that you're collecting everybody's rent and you know who owes you so that if you have a tenant that starts missing payments, that you have a system in place to know that, oh, uh, the tenant in 1A didn't pay the rent this month. It's time to start the collection process. Nice. And, you know, Ted, what would you tell a syndicator, you know, that's just getting into this business, something they just have to know before they dive into the syndication business from your standpoint? Well, from an accounting and tax standpoint, I think you'd probably be a great idea to go and talk to someone like myself about the tax ramifications of doing that. You know, what can you expect as the syndicator to be your tax ramifications? And also, what are the record keeping requirements and what should you be doing when you're taking other people's money and investing it to make sure that you've got adequate safeguards in place to be able to provide them with information should they need it? Because 
you know, the easiest way to, you know, because things do go bad. And so if something ever were to go bad, God forbid, you would want to be able to show a report or something, you know, here's some extra money we had to pay because, you know, the roof went before we thought it was going to, that sort of thing. We're going to be able to provide reports to you and information to you as a limited partner to show that we're doing all the right things, right? That's right. Ted, what's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? I think the number one thing that's contributed to my success is the fact that I've concentrated on my niche, which is real estate investing. It's something that I'm both interested and passionate about. I can sit and talk real estate all day. So I think when you do what you're interested in and what you really love, then it, it comes through to your clients and it makes a difference in your ability to do it well. I agree. And how do you like to give back? How do I like to give back? I um, do quite a bit of work just with people. So with real estate investors, you know, there are sometimes people just who I know could use a leg up getting started and I won't charge them for time doing that. I'll kind of like, you know, just say, look, this person looks like a good person and I'm going to, you know, scholarship them some information basically uh, to get started. And also, you know, we work in a community with all the various charitable needs, you know, whether it be a food drive or I like animals. So, you know, helping people get animals adopted, that sort of thing. It's always, always a lot of fun. And Ted, thank you again so much for being on the show. I appreciate your time. Look forward to having you back so we can discuss some other topics that every real estate syndicator needs to know. Tell them how they can learn more about you and your company. All right. So you can learn more about me by going to my website at www.lanzarocpa.com. And I'm going to spell that out for you. It's L-A-N-Z-A-R-O-C-P-A.com. And my contact information is there. And my phone number at the office is 203-922-1742. And anybody who sees this wants to call me with some real estate questions. I'm always available working in the office, usually during the day. And I'm happy to answer people's questions. Thank you so much, Ted. I really appreciate your time and sharing your expertise. I hope the listeners will reach out to you. I hope the listeners will also go to LifeBridge Capital and connect with me. Go to the Facebook group, The Real Estate Syndication Show, and join so we can all learn from experts like Ted and grow our businesses. And I hope you will keep listening, listen tomorrow, share the show, and we will talk to you later. Thank you for listening to The Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.